donation. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Ty, for operating the board. And uh, I don't know what's coming up next. It could be Pear, Fight the Empire. It could be something else. I thank you for listening. I'm Paul Rowland for Wednesday Talk Radio and KBOO. Bye. You're listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM. The time is 8.59 a.m. Next up is The Dirt Bag. You are tuned to KBOO, Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, Meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing, unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Finance Committee meets on the third Thursday of the month at 5.30 p.m. Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a meeting is being held. Check it for 90.7 KBOO, for real. This is the one love jam down with a DJ like Ja Will, for real. Now my selector! And next on KBOO, your community radio station, an interview with Cadmiel Garcia, former chair of the board of directors of KBOO, conducted by Charles Chambry, current volunteer and member of the board of directors at KBOO. We have an awesome guest, my friend, and somewhat of a mentor for me, at least for radio, and also a mentor for leadership. We have Camille Garcia on the show. She's going to share her story. Her Camille, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, nice to have you. We've been talking about this for some time now. We finally have you on the program. So yeah. I'm so excited about that. And, and so, yeah, we want, we want to hear, at least I know about you, the viewers want to know more about you, so please share your story, your life. 
Yeah. Where, where are you from? Well, I originally grew up in Idaho. Um, I was ra born and raised there, 18 years. Uh -huh. The day I turned 18, packed everything I cared about into my car that I bought b all by myself working hard and got the heck out of there. Yeah. So suffered a lot of harassment. My family is a mixed family, so we're Latinx, but I also have German and Czech. Really? And so when we worked with my father doing like migrant work, um, that was always during the summertime when we weren't in school because my mother insisted that we stay in school. But unfortunately, you know, my brother and I um, were the darker ones of the family, and so mm -hmm. we got picked on at school a lot. I pretty much got called every slur for a Mexican that you can think of, um, and it made me have like a lot of major issues, actually, and that's why one of the main reasons I wanted to leave Idaho. Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of like a haven for white supremacy, and there's actually like a group in Cascade that is the KKK, and they like have lots and lots of money. They're known for being millionaires out there. I did not know that. Yeah, so I was like, you know what? I'm not welcome here. Um, yeah. The only black friend I had growing up actually only lasted friendship for three months because her family ended up leaving because the hatred was so scary for them. They were getting threats. They were getting their house, like, lit on fire, uh, really? the, the front yard, and, like, go home N-word on their doors and stuff. And so they lasted, like, three months in our neighborhood and left. Mm. So I didn't really have much, like, even connection with my own cultural background. Because uh, it was just, I was really internally oppressed, but I knew I had to get out of there because I knew there was something more. And my mom raised me, you know, to just believe in myself and look for others who are the underdogs or getting made fun of and, like, lift them up. And so it really started this foundation of, like, wanting to work for the underdog and really actually, like, got me into wanting to write. So I started a newspaper when I was in sixth grade. Really? Yeah, started a newspaper. I was like, why don't wow. we have a newspaper? We had a club after school and... Uh, it was one of the funnest things I ever, like, started leadership-wise because mm -hmm. um, it was all my idea, and people just kept saying yes every time I asked something, like all the adults at the yeah. school. Yeah. So that was really exciting, and <laughs> my mom was totally for it, you know, um, because she was, like, idle hands. So good that you're doing after-school stuff. Uh -huh. And that was, like, my first little leadership in a community media-like situation. That's funny. And when I left <laughs> home, you know, I had... <laughs> gotten a full ride to the Sarah Lawrence School, but I decided instead to just go off on my own. I was, like, love-struck with this ridiculous person and went off on my own to the Pacific Northwest. My brother was going to school in Seattle anyway, so I was like, I should just go out there. Seemed more welcoming and ended up falling in love, getting married, going to college, getting a degree. And I studied filmmaking and also uh, social justice in college. And my very first um, film was a documentary. And it was on community media. Really? So not just like community media like we're doing right now, like television production, uh -huh. but also print media uh -huh. and also radio. And just kind of helped me kind of find that path towards what I really felt passionate about. And it's really fulfilling now that I'm like involved in all these sectors. But it started with a little documentary in college. And after college, I moved to Portland and I looked for the community media places and started volunteering there and ended up working there. Very nice. Yeah. It's cool because you're a Toastmaster too, right? I just asked one oh, question. Yeah. I asked one question. She just, just I will. <laughs> you're going to have to edit so much down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's plenty. Well, that's good. You got enough, enough content. So yeah. that's great. No, yeah. you, you, I got stuck on the part where you said that your family's part Czech and, and German. I, I don't know if I told you this, but I, I was in, in the military and I was stationed oh. in Germany. Oh. And the reason why I went to Europe, because I had the choice between uh, here in the States and New York. Japan or Europe, and I was really into history, and I had a good close friend who was Czech, 
and I told him, hey, I'm going to figure out some way to meet you again. And so I got that chance when I was in the military. That's so I was in awesome. Germany, got to go to Czech, and, and so I'm very um, acquainted with those cultures you, you, you mentioned. So uh, very cool. And I was laughing because you also talked about how that you were a leader and people do what you say. And yeah. so that's been my experience because you're, you were, when, I, when, I, when we first met, you were the president and chair over cable radio. Mm -hmm. And my experience is that it, when I'm around you, people actually do what you say. And, and you do have this command. Um, um, you, you, you're a good leader, I, I, I would say. That's a better way to say it. I, if I say command, that sounds a little bit strong. She's, she's yeah, like commanding. It's like military <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but you, you have this grace and this talent and this tact to, to guide folks. And, and for that, you are a good leader. So that's how I would say that. So let's that. talk about that. Let's talk about KBU Radio, how you got sure. to be the chairperson and, and your experience with that. Because I know from what I hear, it wasn't easy. Yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> Like I said, I've been volunteering after moving to Portland from, I went to school in Olympia, Washington. I was looking for all the different community radio stations. Um, actually, somehow, community media folks tend to, like, gravitate toward me. Because even <laughs> at my job, my, my very first, like, long-term job in, in Portland was at Voodoo Donut. And uh, uh, I made friends with this, uh, with this great Judy of mine, Callie Danger, and she was having a radio program. She was involved in the youth collective at KBU. Uh -huh. And she said, come on down and be on my show with me. Uh, and right. I said, all right. And we put <laughs> actual records on, you know, and played uh, them really? late in the nighttime. Uh -huh. And um, her show is called Ditch Digger Radio, and that's a kind of dance, you know, mm -hmm. like that. Let's dance. Me and you, let's dance. Let's do Do you something. know the Ditch Digger? So no, I don't know. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Like that. Anyways, so it was on her show, coming in and out of the building, talking to some of the different staff, getting involved in different forms of volunteering, so not just programming, but like data entry for membership and all kinds of events and things like that. And there was a candidate ask for the board, and I had been like kind of coming up in the community media like career field, but still kind of trying to get my footing. And one of the, um, I believe she was a program director of the time, Erin Yankee, asked, hey, you know, why don't you run for the board, or why don't you see if you can apply for the board because the previous um, annual meeting there weren't enough candidates mm. to fill all the empty seats every four years the seats switch over four right. seats just to keep it fresh and I'm well aware of that but yeah go ahead yeah because I'm on the committee for for the for viewers for yeah the yeah viewers. Go, ahead, go ahead go ahead I'm sorry <laughs> that's so right it's for the viewers for that's the right viewers. go ahead go ahead Charles knows yeah, Charles yeah, is yeah, well, yeah, well yeah. aware yeah yeah go ahead go ahead <laughs> but so um, <laughs> they hadn't seated enough folks and you know by now and most folks who are on boards know yeah. you need a full board you really do need all those bodies and all those minds helping make decisions, helping get the committee work done. And so I said, sure, why not? Are you, are you sure they'd want me? And Aaron was like, they totally would want you. You're amazing. You would do great. Yeah. And it'd be good for professional development. And I was like, well, I'm trying to get more professional development. Right. So I applied for the board. They sat me immediately. Yes. So I sat. <laughs> I was on the nominating committee first. Oh, okay. So that means I helped put together the annual meeting and tried to get enough candidates, which we did, run for the next, the following year. And it's a big planning process. You know all the details. Yeah. Then after that, um, I had one more term from that, from that seating. And so I stayed on and became the secretary. Mm. And then we had a huge kerfuffle. There was a bunch of like naysayers and yes-sayers and all kinds of drama mm. that happens when you're in eclectic communities of lots of diverse attitudes and feelings. Right. And people are all speaking their minds. Well, there are some... Some interesting things happening. KBU lost some money, and our, um, I think our vice chair um, was removed from the board, and then our chair was 
decided to step down and resign, mm -hmm. just based on all the like stuff that had been going on. Right. Um, and then the next year that came, we had to seat uh, president, and the board got together, and before I even got to the meeting where we were talking <laughs> about that, decided that that was me. <laughs> That's funny. You know, it's interesting, too, because we were talking today because we have somebody who we think should, should, should run for that seat. And yeah. it's interesting that you say that because it's, you know, so high ironic, I would say. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. Great story. Did you want to add to that? No, I could Well, you know. I will say, too, uh, that um, Ruba Leach was also seated as the vice chair. Yeah. And we both had told each other prior to that meeting, if the board tries to stick us with these res leadership responsibilities, I'll do it if you do it. But no other way. And I right. couldn't have done it without Ruba's support because yeah. a chair needs a, a vice chair. Right. They offer unconditional listening, which does sounds really simple, but it's not. There's a lot of, um, it's a labor of love working at KBU. All the volunteers are just putting so much effort into that station. And it can drain you if you don't have someone else to talk with. And Ruba was that sounding board for me. And also filled in whenever, you know, I needed. So shout out to Aruba. I was Aruba talking Leach. to I was talking to her today and we had a great conversation about life and all that good stuff. So yeah, she is a good good person and mm -hmm. a great support. Yeah, ride or die as they say. She's ride or die. She's ride or die. Yeah, I could call her at three in the morning, I'm sure, and she would answer if she could. If she was not dead asleep, she would answer because she would know it was an emergency. That's that's that kind of person that would like come for you at three in the morning. For sure. Yeah. You, we, everyone needs a ride or die person. Yes. By the way, <coughs> my ride or die person is my brother. Back in, he's doing the camera right now. He's doing doing all the technical stuff. He comes through for me all the time. Shout out to my brother, David Shambry. Yeah. Ride or die. In the mystical control room. Yes. All right. Did you want to add to, to your story about um, KB Radio? Because you do Open Signal, too, so you lead out with that. Yeah. Open Signal. Tell us about o Open Signal. Yeah, so um, like KBOO, Open Signal is a really old community radio station. It has a, a huge, or a community television TV. station, yeah. media mm -hmm. station. Um, they're television-based, so public access, cable channels, and recently mm -hmm. um, launched a watch site, so now all of our channels are also streaming. So it used to be that you would have to have, to have cable to watch it. Mm -hmm. Now you could be in New York and watch something that was produced in in Portland um, just by logging onto the watch site and watching it um, through our streaming option. So that's Wonder pretty awesome. Wonderful. What do you do there? Um, well, I'm the community media advocacy manager and education manager. So I'm basically advocating for the community to make media. And so I help um, develop curriculum and trainings for instructors that are kind of, um, they're, they're a lot different than like college or like public high school kind of education. Uh, because they're trauma-informed. So all of our instructors get a trauma-informed training mm -hmm. and it's called the Teach to Learn. My mother is a teacher as well, and she taught me that if you want to really be a good teacher, then you need to be teaching so that you learn from your students mm. and not thinking of it the other way around, that you're the one giving them all this information because the truth is, is they're the ones that take it out into the world. Right. And so you need to learn from them more than you teach and, and bend and mold your curriculum and your teaching styles to them because they're the ones taking it forward. So if you're trying to do it all in your way as the instructor, you're not actually educating. You're more being more of a weird dictator. No, no, I agree with that totally. So, you know, I do seminars and I teach. I teach 20-plus classes, and I always say this is not a monologue, but this is a dialogue because yeah. I want to learn from the crowd. I want to learn from the attendees and gain something out of it. So I'm, I'm all about what your mom taught you. I think she's mm -hmm. right on course with that. She's, she's right. 
Uh, and also, too, not to talk about myself too much, because this is all about you, <laughs> is that I've I always wanted to be a professor, and it was because I wanted to learn from my students to to read their papers mm -hmm. and to gain as much info and knowledge as I can get. And uh, hopefully, I'll be a, a professor at some point. But again, we want to throw it back to you. Anything else you want to talk about as far as open signal? Well, I'll just first say you and me both, because I would love to have that doctor in front of my name. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, open signal. Um, they have a great equity lens right now. Um, all of our programming is being prioritized towards folks who are underrepresented in the mainstream media. So the priority groups that we're working with are um, BIPOC, so anyone who identifies as black or indigenous or a person of color. Uh, folks who have low income, very much left out by mainstream media, right? Uh, folks who have disabilities, whether they're seen or unseen, because as we know, like sometimes you can't see if someone has a disability. And then folks who are learning English. Mm -hmm. uh, there aren't a lot of opportunities, especially in the industry, to break into if you're part of some of these priority communities that we're prioritizing. And so that's why we're prioritizing them, because it's about equity, not about equality at this point. There's, there's so many have-nots right now compared to the haves that we need to like level the playing field. And we need to make it equitable so that we're thinking about where is this person coming from? Have they eaten breakfast? Have they um, had a good night's sleep? Have they experienced trauma in their life and maybe are still healing from that? Instead of like, come in here and make this stuff right now. Here's the gear. Here's the training. Make it. Instead of that, we're engaging folks, finding out who they are, finding out what their strengths are, and then helping them uplift that and working with them instead of just for them, if that makes sense. It's like less transactional and more community building. Yes. Because we want this to continue. We don't want it to stop. We want people to gain these skills and continue to share their talents and talk to the other people around them, to whoever's in their community. So just really excellent model i think and i'm really excited to continue that kind of model for sure yeah cut me out how do we stay in contact with you okay so you can um for open signal there's an info at opensignalpdx.org that you can go to that anyone can find and then our watch site is that same www.opensignalpdx.com and then it's a forward slash watch to check out our channels check out our website, see what we're doing, and then you can always write to me if you have questions about media education or um, training instructors and that trauma-informed um, stuff, and that you can reach me at catmeow, K-A-T-M-E-O-W, at opensignalpdx.org. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, Catmeow. See you her, her me. story, her life, how she's helping others in the community, how she's trying to build equity there, helping others get a chance. Again, we want to thank her for coming to the show. What an awesome, awesome day. This is Cy Khan here at KBU Radio in Portland, Oregon. A liberated zone. Listen to community radio. Support community radio. It belongs to us. Welcome to World Ocean Radio. I'm Peter Neal, director of the World Ocean Observatory. A 2010 demographic study of world religions by the Pew Research Center on Religion and Public Life estimates that there are 5.8 billion religiously affiliated adults and children around the globe, representing 84% of the world population of 6.9 billion. The demographic study, based on analysis of more than 2,500 censuses, surveys, and population registers, finds 2.2 billion Christians, 32% of the world's population, 1.6 billion Muslims, 
1 billion Hindus, 15%, nearly 500 million Buddhists, 7%, and 14 million Jews, 0.2%, around the world as of that year. In addition, more than 400 million people, 6%, practice various folk or traditional religions, including African, Chinese, Native American, and Australian Aboriginal An estimated 58 million people, slightly less than 1% of the global population, belong to other religions, including the Baha'i faith, Jainism, Sikhism, Shintoism, Taoism, Tenriko, Wicca, and Zoroastrianism. The study also finds that roughly one in six people around the globe, 1.1 billion or 16%, have no religious affiliation. This makes the unaffiliated the third largest religious group worldwide behind Christians and Muslims and about equal in size to the world's Catholic population. Surveys indicate that many of the unaffiliated hold some religious or spiritual beliefs, such as belief in God or a universal spirit, even though they do not identify with a particular faith. Let's assume that over the intervening years, these statistics have followed a general percentage increase in parallel to the increase of world population to 8 billion today. It adds up to a complete global community dedicated to some doctrine and moral instruction that influences their values and actions and determines their attitudes and behaviors. But that community seems today in traumatic turmoil, as opposites and apostates, with political agenda, righteous certainty, territorial disputes and conflicts of heart, mind, and hand. If community is defined as fellowship with others, the use of the word seems aspirational at best. And yet, in the context of religious commitment to the ocean and protection of the natural world, here is a selection of some doctrinal statements by leaders of the major religions worldwide that pertain. From the Quran, Do the unbelievers not see the heavens and the earth were joined together, and we split them apart, and we made from water every living thing? From Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical, Laudato Si, Oceans not only contain the bulk of our planet's water supply, but also most of the immense variety of living creatures. When we speak of environment, what we really mean is a relationship existing between nature and the society that lives in it. Nature cannot be regarded as something separate from ourselves, or as a mere setting in which we live. And this from the Religious Partnership for the Environment, comprising the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, the National Council of Churches, the Coalition on Environment and Jewish Life, and the Evangelical Environmental Network. Through the Jewish and Christian scriptures, water is perhaps the preeminent symbol of life, both spiritual and physical. Abundant, pure water, so necessary for human survival and comfort, manifests divine mercy and healing and occasions gratitude and rejoicing. From the Buddha, just as we know the ocean because it always tastes of salt, we can recognize enlightenment because it always tastes of freedom. These statements lie at the core of doctrine and instruction to believers. But what of their practice? What of the commitment to these conjoined principles? What of the values expressed by actions, individual and collective? What of the ever-growing evidence of the failure of that central ethical intention? What of the lost evidence in our indifference to natural systems, shared resources, and undeniable consequence? Is this sin? Original sin? The final pollution of Eden? How, as believers, can we continue to not practice what has been preached, ignoring the teachings, avoiding the confessional, 
not accepting the responsibility, denying the accountability and disinterest in the reparation or restoration or renewal. By abandoning the natural world, we also abandon God. As Muslims, Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Buddhists, fundamentalists, and other religious agnostics and atheists, perhaps it's time to ask again these questions. There are answers if we're prepared to embrace them. We will discuss these issues and more in future editions of World Ocean Radio. Oh, what a world! KBOO 90.7. Dasha T said that. Welcome to World Ocean Radio. I'm Peter Neal, director of the World Ocean Observatory. How do we govern the ocean? As we look to the future and the preeminence of the world ocean in relation to all aspects of human life, this becomes the essential question. In a January 2022 article in The Conversation UK, Chris Armstrong, professor of political theory in the Department of Politics and International Relations, University of Southampton, United Kingdom, advocates for a centralized ministry for the ocean, a voice at the highest level of government to advocate for ocean policy and protection. His basic argument is that there is no agency to keep the ocean in the forefront of political life. Quote, by giving a minister of the ocean a seat in the cabinet, governments would send a powerful signal about the coming blue century and put a clear vision for a sustainable ocean economy and flourishing marine ecosystems at the heart of their work, unquote. If we take the United States as an example, we will discover 14 departments and six agencies that are represented at the highest cabinet level, responsible to the president coordinated by the chief of staff. They are state, defense, treasury, the attorney general, interior, agriculture, commerce, labor, health and human services, housing and urban development, energy, education, veterans affairs, and homeland security. The agencies are the Environmental Protection Agency, Management and Budget, United Nations Mission, Council of Economic Advisors, and Small Business Administration. If you look closely at any one, you can see the obvious ocean areas of jurisdiction that relate to the foreseeable role of marine interest and development, trade and transportation, security, food production, climate and coastal protections, community health, workforce development, education and professional training, environmental regulation, international treaties and law, national and international finance, budget, and legislation, among others. In bureaucratic language, these organizations are silos, structures acting independently, vertically, linked at the top of the leadership pyramid, where presumably a coherent presidential vision oversees their priorities and integration. What is missing, at least structurally difficult to find, are cross-cutting connections, where programs are envisioned, financed, and implemented horizontally as an integrated strategy engaging all aspects of the initiative through all elements of all agencies. Such connection would protect against duplication, contradiction, convention, and inertia from one department to another. Interagency connection coordinated by an ocean minister or department secretary could anticipate policy and program conflict, industrial agriculture waste disposal, for example, in coastal areas, to preclude growing dead zones where fisheries and other maritime enterprise cannot thrive, or targeted or reallocated tax incentives shifted from support of conventional energy to alternatives, of extraction to conservation, of consumption to sustainability. 
Many of the ocean-related programs that languish within existing bureaucracy could be transferred to this new silo, where they would have focus, standing, funds, and a co-equal seat at the cabinet table. If a national leader has an ocean consciousness, a prescient awareness of the fulsome, essential immediacy of ocean resource value, then that interest might begin to shape an overt interest and inclination. In 2018, during the Obama administration, the United States flirted with the creation of a national ocean policy, a national ocean council, and a congressional ocean caucus. As a rekindling of ocean interest following the failure of two national ocean plan initiatives, that languished from the Bush era. What followed, however, in the next presidency was abandonment of interest, thus little or no action. The drafts of those plans remain. There is much to be valued within them, a basic structure and outline for a new ocean focus that could be restarted tomorrow if there could be found the political will. On Earth Day this year, at the UN Ocean Conference in New York, the U.S. publicly committed to a variety of actions with regard to illegal, unreported, unregulated fishing, to food security initiatives, to increased coastal research and science by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Environmental Protection Agency, to further U.S. participation in the mapping of the ocean floor, to an international alliance to combat ocean acidification, to a strategy to prevent further plastic pollution, and to financial commitments of some $16 billion dollars to ocean technology, climate mitigation, and other tangible steps toward a quiet, coordinated ocean plan. There was a White House press release, but not much other notice. No matter, it may be that a voice for the ocean at the highest level of a minister has been found. We will discuss these issues and more in future editions of World Ocean Radio. This is Joseph Galban. I'm your host for Art Focus. KBU Community Radio is only possible with your support. So join the party and contribute at kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to this number 44321. That's kboo.fm slash give or you can just text KBOO to the number 44321. Two one. Thanks a lot. Andy Wo looks a scream. Hand him on my woe. Andy Wo silver scream. Can't tell them apart at KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. KBOO's Board of Directors meets on Monday, December 19th at 6 p.m., this month's board meeting will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland and online through a public video conference. Masks and proof of vaccination are required at this time. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting virtually can be found at our website at kboo. Hi, this is Judy Collins, and you're listening to KBOO in Portland. Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope.
Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are ringing the bell, taking notice and adding joy to the world with our intentional contributions. Guess what? You don't have to wait on the miraculous to happen to feel great pleasure and happiness. You can take charge and create these feelings for yourself. It starts with understanding more about this feeling called joy, digging deeper into the action of giving joyfully, and then understanding how you can take ownership.